Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 316. And I'm here alongside virtually my awesome guest co-host, Kasim Aslam. You know, maybe we should just break the news to everybody. Why do I keep saying guest podcast co-host anymore? They're kind of getting to know who you are. Like, uh, should we make a formal announcement before I actually introduce you as a guest? Ralph, are you proposing right now? Is that what's happening? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like down on one knee right now. You just made me the happiest marketer in the world. Yeah, well, this is totally unscripted, you know, even though we've been, you know, on our on our pre-record for about 90 minutes or so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think you deserve a permanent spot here. I'm just sort of jumping ahead of myself unless Ryan Dice like kicks me in the ass and says differently. But, you know, I think you've been doing an awesome job here. So why not make you the permanent guest host, which means that you would be the co-host at this point in time, because you certainly have des- you deserve it. And you know, with all the stuff that we got cooking right now, we might as well get some permanency in this perpetual traffic podcast moving forward. So anyway, there's my proposal to you down on one knee virtually. What say you? Well, A, I couldn't be more excited. So first of all, thank you. And B, what's really funny for our listeners is if you never hear from me again, you know that Ryan just straight up, what are the old vaudeville things where they came in with the cane and like yanked him right off the stage? That's what happened. That's exactly what happened. And Ryan does own one of those canes, by the way. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah. He's that old school. So, well, no, this is, this is cool. So obviously Amanda has moved on to other things outside of DM and, you know, we still are in contact with her, but her new job outside of DM over at Boss Babe is just taking up a little bit too much of her regular time. It's totally understandable, but hopefully we can get her back as like a guest occasionally here on Perpetual Traffic. But we're just assuming here because we haven't asked anyone and I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in uh, you know, ask for forgiveness later. So, you know, Ryan, if this means you know, I'm in the jailhouse or the doghouse or whatever house I would be in that isn't like my own house, so be it, because I think the perpetual traffic listener here is, is pretty happy with what you've been doing here at Kasim. And, and obviously, we're, we've got some really cool stuff that we've been cooking up sort of behind the scenes and didn't really even mention here on the show all that much, but some additional value adds, something that we've been doing for a few weeks now called uh, these, it's over on this channel called YouTube. And it's called YouTube Live. Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, what we've been doing over there and how you help put all that together. Yeah. So Ralph and I, every Friday, we're going live about an hour. And we actually came up with a name for it, Ralph. I don't know if you know this yet. So here's another. Oh, you saw that. Okay. No, I don't know exactly what it is, but I know sort of what it is. So anyway, so yeah, nothing is scripted here. Nothing is right. 
basically we haven't prepared for this. It's called Perpetual Fridays. And you're going to show up every Friday. We're going 11 a.m. Eastern. And did I get that right, Ralph? 11 a.m. Yeah. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Yep. That's and it. go to the Digital Marketer YouTube channel, uh, which is super easy to find, by the way. If you go into YouTube, just search for Digital Marketer. You can also go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash digital MKTR. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And if you show up, you're going to be able to hang out with us live. And it's legitimately live. Like, you know, we're there, live chat's flowing. You can ask us anything, heckle us, do, do whatever you have to do. The intention here is for us to use what we're hearing and the feedback that we're getting to inform the podcast. We want to be, we want to have our finger to the pulse and we want to make sure that we're always relevant. So you're actually giving us a gift too. We want this to be value-add for our listeners, but we want you to, you know, we want you to know that we want to listen and we want to get closer to what it is that you want to hear. How, how did I do that, Ralph? Anything that you'd use to, to buttress that? Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly it. I mean, I think, you know, we've done it in isolation the last couple of weeks and it's been fun. And, you know, our viewership tripled last Friday. I don't know if you realize that it's from, from week over week from, oh, I didn't know that. yeah. So, but I mean, not large numbers, but obviously we haven't, we haven't really formally announced it here on Perpetual Traffic, which hopefully you will join us over there 11 a.m. each Friday. And it's a lot of fun, actually. It's a lot of interaction with you, the Perpetual Traffic listener, as well as a digital marketer helps us out with communicating with their list and we're putting it on our socials as well. So, so far it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's really it. It's dialing in you know, what you, the listener, really wants to hear about and answering those questions as challenging as they might be, or you know, on the the tactical advertising side, all the way to you know, general business questions and life questions. It's been sort of an interesting mix, and I think that's what we like about it the most. So yeah, we'll leave links in the show notes over at digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast for you for this one. Obviously, this is episode three hundred and sixteen, but yeah, join us every Friday at eleven a.m. Eastern. 8 a.m. Pacific over at Perpetual Fridays on the Digital Marketer YouTube channel. So, Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com 
forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Pretty excited there. So speaking of YouTube. What an excellent segue that was, Ralph. That's my radio host training coming in. Make sure you have a, <laughs> even if it's a really corny or a lousy one, like make sure you have a segue because that's what you do in radio. But we're going to be talking today about YouTube, which is another channel and another social channel. It's one of those other socials that we oftentimes refer to here that you and I have a fair amount of experience in and are also seeing pretty good results within our respective agencies for customers that are already on our primary channels. So we at Tier 11 are known primarily for Facebook and Instagram. It's not the only thing we do. We happen to specialize in that because it's a great place to start. But then once we gain success there, we found that a lot of those same learnings that you garner from Facebook and Instagram and just social media just in general will translate over into other channels. And one of those channels that we're having really profound success with, especially right off the bat, and we'll be talking about some of that here today, is over on YouTube. And I know you guys have been, obviously, as a Google agency and smart shopping, which you know we did a whole episode on that a few episodes back. You guys have experienced a, a fair amount of success there as well. And in the e-commerce niche on top of that, which is what a lot of YouTube agencies stay away from because it's they, you know, it's hard. It's not as easy as maybe the stuff that we were doing on our side of the equation, but you've got sort of some special sauce that you guys have been able to put into that and really be able to create some pretty incredible results for some of your customers. Talk about that for us. Yeah. Well, I, you know, so a couple of notes there. I think that YouTube is YouTube is phenomenal when you have a multi-channel traffic strategy. I think YouTube is tough to play standalone in a silo. So what you just said, Ralph, we learn on Facebook and Instagram, and then we move to YouTube. We do a similar thing. We learn inside of smart shopping, and then you know we sort of expand what we're learning um, into YouTube. YouTube is an expensive ecosystem to start with. So I don't know, and you know, stop me if you disagree. I don't know that I'd come out swinging with YouTube. My recommendation is go learn your lessons. And, and I actually really, I, to be honest with you, I prefer learning in Facebook than anything because the, the two networks are really analogous as far as the way that people interact with them. You know, it's still interrupter marketing. It's content driven. It's, you know, value first. And so if you can make something work in Facebook, the odds that it works in YouTube, I think, obviously not guaranteed, but I think they're pretty high. So YouTube ends up being like the second tier for us. We, we don't want to go there directly, but once we've proven concept and then our customer comes to us and like, all right, we're tapped out. You know, we've exhausted all the impression share. Where else do we go? YouTube's always a really good next option. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I have talked to a lot of other agencies and other business owners there. They might've done that in the reverse. They might've started with YouTube because you know, it's the 800 pound gorilla in the video space and maybe their product lends itself really well to video to start. They start there, get frustrated and then go to another platform. We don't recommend that being the starting point, but you know, there are other uh, agencies that do do that. So not to disparage them as well, but I mean, we look at it very similarly. If we get, you know, interruption marketing is sort of, sort of a thing. 
And interruption mm -hmm. marketing is what happens inside Facebook. You're not necessarily there looking for an ad, but same thing with YouTube. You're not necessarily, maybe you can challenge this to a certain degree on the shopping side, but you're not necessarily, at least for the primary ad modality inside YouTube, you're not really looking for a solution. So you do have to have something that pulls in that audience. And for us, we use a tremendous amount of video for interruption marketing purposes for Facebook. So why wouldn't that transfer well, or at least translate at least initially over to YouTube? It's a logical next step for us. Yeah. So YouTube has a little bit more in the way of intent. You know, mm -hmm. like if somebody's searching for a YouTube video, there's intrinsic qualification to their search. We've got a client, for instance, that sells a special type of hat. And I won't go into detail as to what it is because I'll give them right away. But it was recently re featured in the Dave Bautista Netflix movie, by the way. But the hat has a, a function that people search to solve. They don't know the hat is available, but they're, you know, searching Google and or YouTube for, you know, how can I uh, make this happen? And, and that articulation of intent inside of YouTube, I think, is maybe one step closer to a, to a purchase event than in Facebook, where you're just, you know, putting yourself in front of somebody based off of where they are demographically and psychographically. But that said, you're still interrupting them. You're still, it's not exactly what they wanted per se. And, you know, to the point you made earlier, I have seen agencies start with YouTube. Shout out actually to a buddy of mine. You know, Chris Brewer over at OMG Commerce? I do. Yeah. Good dude. Sharp cat. They are YouTube assassins. And, but the thing, and, and Chris would, I think, agree with this if he were on this call. If you're going to start with YouTube, you got to have some bucks. Like your, your ad spend is high. I think mid five figures is, you know, pretty healthy. And so if you don't have the time or the money to, if your threshold for pain there isn't high, I don't, I don't know that the YouTube starting point is necessarily aligned. So I hope I didn't just overstep my bounds there, Ralph. I don't want to lob any grenades at some friendly agency of ours of ours. No, I would say that's, that's accurate. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, <laughs> the, the old expression is the more you spend, the more you learn, I suppose. But I think it, it does seem like with YouTube and, you know, speaking to a number of, you know, my friends who are, you know, far greater specialists on the platform, that is absolutely the case. And you sort of reach this scale, this kind of, you know, spinning wheel or at least gain momentum after a certain point in time. And that's typically in the five figures per month spend range. So if you, you know, if you play around in the, in the, you know, the four figure range or less, I don't know as if just from a logical perspective, you're really going to be able to gain a lot, a whole lot of momentum. I think that's fairly consistent, but once you gain that momentum, all of a sudden the scale really starts to happen once you start to dial it in, especially if, if you're in the right types of markets, especially the broader base markets. We've definitely seen that. And on your side, it's like the, a lot of your customers that are with Google Shopping or just reg regular Google customers are in e-commerce, but like how do you guys approach that specifically or what's the strategy you know, within the solutions eight uh, media hierarchy as far as what success looks like inside YouTube? You have to have a product with a unique value proposition. You know, if you're a me too, anything, you're not going to have any success on YouTube because you're trying to capture people's attention. So you have to have something that's, you know, special, unique and special and unique, by the way, doesn't need, need to be mind blowing. You don't have to invent the next new thing. But, you know, if, if you're selling microphones, let's say, because you and I were talking about microphones earlier, and you've got a, a couple of really solid little like, hey, our microphone comes pre-installed with the screen and 
you know, we have the mounting gear and it's a little, and, and all you're doing is explaining the way that it works. That's enough to begin positioning content in front of people. So if there's no unique value proposition, if there's nothing that you can sort of hang your head on, so to speak, you're going to have a real tough time inside of YouTube. To be honest with you, you're going to have a tough time marketing anyway, but, but (laughs) interestingly, you've had some success in Google smart shopping with, with stuff that's just like, I mean, it's, it's virtually just drop ship, you know, I don't want to say the word junk because I'm sure the products are fine, but, but very sterile in terms of the the branding, the value proposition. If you're going to move to YouTube, you can't play that game anymore. Um, So you have to have USPs. And you also need to be willing to invest the time it takes for the number of impressions to, to fully permeate. You know, there's that, we've talked about this before, but there's this old, I, I mean, if I could set this thing on fire, if I could find it, there's a study that was done in, at Harvard Business School in the 1970s that says it takes seven impressions before somebody's ready to buy from you. And right. people have been quoting that till they're, what's frustrating about it is the number's 31 and, and possibly higher. My data is probably old. You know, I think that the study that I read was like from 2019, but it's, you know, significantly higher than seven and YouTube will get you there, but, but it takes some time. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that, that Google's, Google's willingness to show you to the same user multiple times dilutes as that user refuses to click. And so you'll probably see this in your own browsing experience on YouTube. You'll see the same ad a bunch and then it starts to kind of taper off and, and wind down, which kind of sucks for us because at the same time, you as a user might be warming up to that to that narrative. So you, you have to hope that you can kind of outrun Google's loss of patience for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how do you get that many impressions? Like what's the key for you, for you folks, especially when you're saying, oh, and maybe like specifically in different industries or if, is there anything that will allow you aside from, you know, a USP that actually is unique or something that's, you know, unique, at least to your category of product, like what are the keys there to capturing that attention and getting those impressions so that you can ultimately get to the conversion? So I've got a couple of really specific notes and hopefully our listeners aren't going to mind me getting, you know, too granular, but I think this is important. If you're going to run YouTube ads, what we've noticed is the in-stream skippable ads are still the best. And what that means, if you're not familiar with it, by the way, when you're watching YouTube video and an ad shows up, that's overlaid on top of the video you're watching. And then it gives you five seconds or six seconds or whatever it is to skip. If you skip, the advertiser doesn't pay, which is really cool. It also kind of helps Google algorithmically determine who is and is not interested in your ad. Now, a couple of notes there. Your creative needs to be compelling in the first five seconds because they have the opportunity to skip. So make sure, and and you don't want to just capture everybody's attention. You actually want to attract and repel. This is very, very important. You want to attract the people that you're applicable to and repel the people that you're not. You know, it's, it may be a little counterintuitive. You want people to skip if they're not your right demo. And so one of the things that I like to do is just call folks out right away. You know, on my most recent YouTube ads that I ran for myself, I said, hey, if you're a Shopify store owner that's doing more than six figures a month, and instantly what I just did is qualify you. So now if you're a Shopify store owner who's doing more than six figures a month, you're potentially going to continue to listen. If you're not, you lost 100% of the interest. So in-stream skippable ads, I think still the, still the best for your customer acquisition. And what, what's nice about that is it gives you multiple at-bats before you spend anything. And then when you're ready to bring people back around, you can do things like, you know, the bumper ads that are less than 15 seconds and basically play no matter what. But I like to use those for remarketing. I like to use those when I'm, when I'm a little bit more bullish on the audience. And I know that, you know, I've sort of gotten them to wave their hand and say, hey, we're interested. So that I think would be Pro tip number one. And then pro tip number two is start with maximized conversions. 
a lot of people are going to default to target CPA because you're trying to build a, an efficient campaign right out of the gate. And target CPA, if you're not familiar, is target cost per acquisition. It's where you go to Google and say, hey, I don't want to pay more than X for a lead. And the problem with that is right now you need the machine to learn. And so you're asking it to do two things. You're asking it to learn and you're asking it to be efficient. And I think that's a flawed model. I think in the beginning, and you've ever watched any of my YouTube videos, you know that I'm not a fan of maximized conversion. So I very rarely offer this advice. But in this particular context, I'd say maximize conversions just because it gives Google the ramp to be able to say, all right, I'm going to get as many conversions as I can, regardless of you know, ceilings or thresholds, and then come back to you and show you what's possible. And from there, then you can switch over to target CPA or begin to optimize. But I think those two things gives you, you know, the most amount of breadth with maximized conversions and the uh, ability to, you know, like I said, have multiple at-bats with the in-stream skippables. Yeah, for sure. So in-stream skippables start there, which is, I think we've, you know, we've mentioned those obviously on this show plenty of times, but up to 30 seconds, right? Before they pay, it used to be 25 seconds. Now it's 30 seconds, correct? Yeah, I know the threshold moved recently, but I don't know where it is. And maybe I can actually look that up while we're here, but it, it's, it's cool because it, it still gives you like, there's a line of demarcation where if somebody doesn't in- engage with your media up to a certain point, you're not going to, you're not going to pay. Right. I mean, it's still, it's the same, I mean, it's the same principle, you know, on your Facebook side of the equation as well. I mean, we always say sort of the first three to six seconds, get your branding in there, get some motion, get their attention. You know, I would say within, you know, maybe even a shorter period of time of year, I mean, you're talking about like 10 to 15 seconds. I mean, we all know like how close obviously you are with that clicker or with your thumb or wherever you are when, when that little five second timer starts coming up. So it's got to be you know, in that range. So in the first five seconds, obviously get your message out there, you know, call out your avatar, address the pain point, address the desire, whatever it happens to be, get their attention in some way. And then from there, obviously you've got to sort of follow it up from five seconds to there about 30 seconds. And then after that, like, is there a formula to get what you want after that point in time? Or is it, if you've got the first five seconds all the way to 30 seconds, you're pretty much on your way to, to a winning YouTube ad, or is it I mean, just oversimplifying? Well, no, I don't think you're oversimplifying. I think those are really good notes. And I, I, did, I looked it up. You're exactly right. It just moved to 30 seconds, which I didn't know. Good call, Ralph. You're schooling me on Google, man. Well, every now and then. Yeah, no big deal. does catch a nut. But no, I, like it's smart for them because it's, they realize that this Brilliant. is an annoyance. But you do find that after you start watching certain you know, in-stream skippables, you realize like, this is actually kind of compelling content. Maybe it's just because we're marketers or advertisers, but like Google figuring out what you want back to our discussion from, I guess, last, you know, Perpetual Friday about like privacy and data is a function of convenience, a whole other discussion, which we won't get into here. But once they start to really dial in, you actually do get some really interesting content in your your pre-roll skippable ads. I always want to call them pre-roll, but I guess they're called in-stream skippables. But the point is, is yeah, I mean, as a business owner, you really, and Google wants to do the same thing. They want you to get the right person to put the ad in front of because they want their ad, ad platform that much more relevant and less annoying. So we're all working together on this one. I hate, I hate to say it with Google, but it really does. It, it is a good way of selling advertising, which is really counterintuitive if you've never heard anything on YouTube, you're like, well, wait a second, I don't pay up until 30 seconds. That's crazy. Well, no, it's actually really smart, but it is counterintuitive for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, they do a good job, I think, too, of protecting user experience. I've caught, anecdotally, I've caught my wife watching the ads because mm-hmm. they've done a really good job of figuring out exactly what she's into. And, you know, that I don't know, I think that says a lot because she's not one. To- hey, it's Kasim here, and I have a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your website? Now, I know that sounds crazy, but seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully target your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. That means you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and then safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. I've personally met the CEO, Adam Robinson, and the guy is absolutely brilliant. And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for PT listeners. If you are an e-commerce brand that's doing over a million in annual revenue, and you've gone through their easy 30-minute onboarding process, if you don't 5X your investment within the first six months, they will give you all of your money back. To take advantage of this offer, go to getemails.com forward slash scalable. That's getemails.com forward slash scalable. Hey, PT listeners, when's the last time your business published on its blog? If the answer is that's way too long for me to remember, I want you to listen up because our friends at BKA Content have a new service where they'll deliver fresh blogs to your inbox and all you have to do is just post them on your site. Now, these articles are all originally written just for your business. They're not generic articles that are just copy and pasted or thrown into some AI software or written by a VA. No, these are professional writers who are going to sit down and write articles just for your business. We've used them in the past, and they're absolutely fabulous. Now, if you want an extra reason to go try them yourself, BK is giving PT listeners half off their first month. Just go to bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual to get started. That's bkacontent.com forward slash perpetual. To generally engage. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Well, I mean, the stuff that we've seen working well, I mean, we've got we've got a number of customers in the digital products space, coaching space, information products space. And we're really using a lot of the same assets over on the YouTube side of the equation with pretty good results and even results like right out of the gate that are within KPI, which is pretty healthy and pretty nice. I mean, we look at it sort of two ways. Obviously, there's a fair amount of traffic that's on Facebook. So scale that up as much as possible. But also, we're in this transition period where we're kind of figuring out the machine learning, some of the intricacies of this challenge with iOS coming down the line. We also find that a lot of our customers and ourselves internally are looking to potentially diversify, not necessarily having a single channel specific business here just on Facebook and Instagram, but seeing the same types of things working as well, if not better over on YouTube. So if you have some of the same assets that are on Facebook and you're getting some success, or maybe you're a little frustrated with the platform right now, and you've got you know, a five-figure testing budget is what we're sort of calling out here as sort of our minimum, this is a logical next step and not necessarily something to switch completely away from all the other social channels, but one to definitely consider regardless of whatever your product is. If you've got something that's converting well, why not try it? 
over on this channel and you're seeing the same type of success from what it sounds like. Well, and honestly, this is, this is going to be the next phase of marketing. Everybody's going to have to go on my channel because of, you know, I mean, all the, 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 and we, again, we won't get into this because we've talked about it enough that we beat this dead horse, but the privacy first protocol is going to force us to go on my channel. And I think YouTube is a really important channel for everybody to examine. The, I think the important thing to note about YouTube is Google is optimizing off of clicks, not off of views. And that sounds like a nit, that sounds like a nuance, but it's not at all. It means that you need to, you need to ask for the click in your creative and whether or not that's overt or something that you kind of are planting subconsciously, the direction that you want to head is getting them off of YouTube. You want to get them towards wherever it is that you're headed. So I, what we've seen quite a bit of success in the realm of creative is really clear calls to action. You know, mm. people like to be cutesy and, you know, do all those kind of like brand building. And if that's your goal, awesome, mm -hmm. done. But if your goal is ROAS, like if you actually want to return on your investment, you have to tell people exactly what you want them to do. And it doesn't hurt to have compelling offers. It doesn't hurt to have scarcity. It doesn't hurt to have like, you know, events. I don't love coupons always because I feel like that kind of puts you in the wrong camp and the customer's mind, but, but something that lets them know, hey, now's the right time to act. If you can get those clicks, then it puts you in a position where Google actually begins optimizing, which is, that's the other reason that I think YouTube takes longer to ramp up. You know, Facebook ads, in my experience, ramps up a little bit faster than, than YouTube does. YouTube needs that time. It has, it, it has to kind of like, you know, sit and stew. And if you can, if you have creative that drives clicks faster, then you're going to see a faster ramp up time. Mm, yeah, for sure. And what's your recommendation on when that call to action should come? Is it, does it sort of, is this a depends, it depends question answer? Or is it, is there some sort of metric that you folks use as to when that call to action should occur? Should it be right after the 30 seconds? Should it be within the 30 seconds? Should it be at minute three? Like what's your sense as far as overall success? If you look at the entire portfolio of your spend. Yeah, that's such a good question that I don't have. I don't have a pre-prepared answer for because it, it really depends on, for e-com, it depends on the product. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to backpedal on you a little bit and use another question to kind of feed this discussion. But people, my clients ask me all the time, how long should my videos be? And, you know, if you Google that, you get it's an impossible of, question. It's a, answer, yeah, absolutely. Sorry. And I actually, <laughs> I get mad at the people that have an answer, you know, oh, it should be 90 seconds. And it's like, well, I, how hard is your product to explain? You know, like how much do we have to talk about? I watched a 13 minute video from Billy Jean the other day. It was an ad on Facebook and it was so good. I'm embarrassed to say it. It was yeah. so, it was 13 minutes, Ralph. It was 13 minutes long, but it was amazing. So if you can make an amazing 13 minute video, but somebody's going to sit down and, and watch it. Frank Kern's been doing that recently too. I've noticed I've watched all of them, but I've noticed that his, you know, he has longer form media. So I think that the, the real key is, is building a relationship with people using video explaining something that makes sense and then seeding the call to action when the narrative calls for it. And I, man, I realize that's such a fence city answer, but I also think it's the right answer. Yeah, I would agree. I always say like to answer that nearly impossible question to answer is I say the length of your content depends on the breadth of your ask. Meaning if you're That's selling like philosophy to me, right? I know if you're, you're selling a, <laughs> <laughs> if you're selling a thousand dollar product, probably a five second video isn't going to cut it. Mm. But if you're selling a $1 product, you could use the five second video, but you 
for the thousand dollar product, you're probably going to need something longer than five seconds. And what that length actually is, I'm not precisely sure. I mean, obviously selling a thousand dollar product up a direct response ad is a big ask, although we have done it in the past, believe it or not. But the point is, is even if it is a registration for a webinar, for example, and obviously we've got a lot of customers that do that sort of thing on Facebook right now, transferred that knowledge over to YouTube, working quite well, still dialing things in, but results look really, really promising, especially you know, within the first couple of weeks here, just on one that I'm looking at right now. The point is, is like the ask is the registration for an educational webinar, but then the video sort of pre-frames that to a certain degree in less than 60 seconds, kind of, you know, pretty, you know, fast cuts, quick action, lots of, you know, lots of movement, really good professionally done video. But really what you're asking for is a registration to a webinar, which for our target CPA is around $15 to $20. But then the bigger ask is after they consume the content for the webinar, what are you getting after that? And in this Mm -hmm. case, it's a webinar or it's an educational video. You could do it as a VSL. That's then a logical call to action. Say, hey, if you like this, click here to schedule an appointment you know, to become, you know, X coach or, you know, come into my training program or to get a strategy call later on down the line. So if you sort of reverse engineer it, your big ask at the end of the day is, you know, four or five figure sale, but it's multiple steps along the way. You know, could you throw that webinar, that VSL as a YouTube ad, as, you know, an in-stream skippable? I suppose you could, but probably wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. The point is, is like your ask is for a registration with a 60 second video. And then the call to action is a later, later on down the line with a much chunkier piece of content. So when all is said and done, somebody who books a call for this particular coach and then eventually buys the product probably has seen, you know, easily an hour of their content. So that then now makes sense. If it's a, you know, it's a four or five figure ask you need them to consume a larger piece of content to understand, all right, this guy or this business isn't completely full of it. So I guess I'm helping you out in your answer and the fact that, yeah, you need more investment of time or money, most in most cases time, in order to ask for the bigger sale, which then is a bigger ask for money. So so the, the funnel that you just described, I think is worth meditating on too a little bit. And what's cool is YouTube actually supports this there's YouTube sequences. If you picture columns, you can say, my target prospect has to have watched a video from column one before they can move to column two. And then once they've watched a video from column two, then they move to column three, et cetera. And, and using YouTube sequences, you're basically telling a story. You're doing exactly what you just mentioned earlier, which is you're kind of like walking them through the natural sequence to this sale. And if you're not lazy and you don't, again, mind investing the time, I don't know that there are things that are, you know, I mean, it, it's tough to be more powerful than that be able to shepherd somebody along. It reminds me of just how effective old school email marketing was when people were really investing and doing it well. And you know, before we all got fatigued by it, I think that you could use YouTube sequences for the same, for the same purpose. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, well, if, if we've sort of looked back to it, I mean, we used to sell you know, uh, in the survival space, like $1 items. You know, we were working with you know, Perry Belcher and, and Ryan and his crew you know, and we were getting, you know, $9 CPAs on a $1 front end purchase, but the upsell sequence was pretty rigorous and pretty good on the back end. 
But all we needed was like a 30 second video to show them how cool this lighter was that lit, you know, as it was, you know, being poured, water was being poured on it. You know what I mean? It's like, you didn't really have that big of an ass. Like you have a dollar, you have a dollar transaction. So all you really need is a shorter video to get them to the point where they'll actually purchase it. So it's like, if you're trying to sell a thousand dollar product on the front end, probably, like I said, like a five or 50 or 15 second video isn't going to cut it, but you have to have those logical sequences in between that initial transaction to ultimately get them to your, you know, your core offer or your upsell way in the back end of your funnel. So mm-hmm. I, mean, I think, you know, YouTube being such a visual channel is a great way to start, you know, for whichever product that is, we were just sort of using, you know, the coaching as an example, but we ran YouTube ads for that group as well. And they did extremely well. But obviously the, you know, the real money is made in the upsell sequence and the one-time offer, the one-time, you know, the two-time offer after that, that ultimately was able to back the, the entire ad campaign out. So I just think that YouTube is a, is a tremendous channel. If you've got, you know, Facebook ads that are working right now and your social ads, you know, you can certainly consider going into this channel. The question is, like we had mentioned before, what kind of budget are you going to allocate towards it, but also use it as a hedge towards, you know, some of the challenges that we're facing on the Facebook platform right now. You know, the note that I'll offer everybody is if you're going to go use YouTube, you have to be tracking your, your ROI from a lifetime perspective. If you're just comparing your cost per lead, I think YouTube, generally speaking, is going to lose. We ran YouTube ads for, it was an info product. Ralph, you know the guy, another war room member. He spends half a million to a million bucks a month. His cost per lead in Facebook for the campaign I'm looking at was sub $10. On YouTube, it was $16.70. Yeah. So he was almost paying double. But when you track the YouTube conversions all the way through his funnel, the, the YouTube leads were more likely to sign up for his core offer. And I mean, we're talking multi-thousand dollar core offers. That's a really big deal and an important data point to have because if you just looked at it standalone, you know, well, do I want $10 leads or do I want $20 leads? Of course you want $10 leads until we find out that you know, some of these YouTube leads, and that honestly might've been a byproduct of our targeting more than anything. We got a little more granular on YouTube, but it's, it's still important that we're paying attention to what happens after the click, after the conversion, after the upsell. Um, and I think that's true for all marketing. Like marketers need to stop being so freaking lazy and talking about vanity metrics. How much money did you make at the end of the day? And that's how you can gauge your marketing methods. Right. Yeah, for sure. Like for example, in this coaching customer, we know that if we're within a certain range for step two after the registration, like we don't really care as much what we make on the cost per registration as much as we really care about like what the cost per submitted application really Mm. is. Like that's the metric that we care the most about. So we don't care about $5 leads or $30 leads. What we care about is step two in the process because we know based upon historical close ratios, you know, regardless of platform. So this is platform agnostic. Like we know if we can get that cost per acquisition or that cost per submitted application in that case, and not really care about the actual cost per registration for the initial transaction, we know that that's going to back out because this customer knows his metrics. And I think, you know, getting caught up on your front end metrics too many times is, is one of those mistakes that I think we all make. We're infatuated with cheap lead costs, but do they back out in the end? Like when do they actually convert? And that's more of a math and a business question, even more so than an advertising question. Once you understand that business question, 
then you can back that out and figure out, okay, what can I afford to pay for a front-end lead, front-end registration? Because I know the real metrics happen maybe two or three transactions into my sales funnel. And that's, like I said, that's what smart business owners reverse engineer. But we know that in this particular case, because of the experience we've had in Facebook, we know if we get that CPA around 250, 300, like we're in pretty good shape as far as that next step. And we know those ads are going to be able to back out. Yeah. Yeah. That's really well said. I like that distinction too. It's, you know, it shifts from marketing to business. This isn't something we can do for our clients. They have to do it themselves. We can arm them with half of the data, you know, and then they have to complete that bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of where not to, you know, good on the soapbox here, but I do think that that's a lot of where marketing is going. So, you know, in this particular example, uh, you know, we've given a lot of advice to this customer on what we think as far as how to make the whole thing work on the back end to the point where, you know, the real sort of little hinge that swings the big door is what's the close ratio once actually, what's the show up rate once they get on the call? Once they get on the call, what's the close ratio? Like what's your beginning, ending, and how do you close? Like how do you structure a payment plan? How do you actually collect? You know, how do you then fulfill? Like all these steps, like way past that initial click. And in this particular case, this is a pretty good example of, you know, something that we call customer acquisition amplification, which is, yeah, it's not just all about the advertising. It's about all these steps afterwards. And, you know, when you you spend a fair amount of money on all these platforms like you and I do, these are the sorts of things you actually know but most agencies might not consult or assist on. But those are the business questions that produce sustainable, you know, long-term growth where these businesses are very interested in not just front-end acquisition, not fixated on the ROAS on day one. You know? So that's where marketing, in my opinion, is really is going now. And it's you know, it's very far removed from just looking at everything from an advertising perspective. So, you know, I mean, I think, you know, for us, that's really, we really enjoy doing a lot of that work is sort of after the click many times through, which we refer to as conversion architecture. So anyway, I mean, the point is, is this, is like you as a business owner, you do need to know those metrics and understand that a cheap lead is not necessarily a good lead, but another platform like YouTube is a potential way for you to diversify your media mix, which as a business owner, you really want to be thinking that way. If I'm single channel, Facebook only, you're somewhat exposed. And then all of a sudden, you know, a lot of these changes happen and your business suffers. Well, if you've diversified or at least look at your business holistically, you're in a much better spot from a long-term growth perspective. So. Yeah. I love that conversion architecture, by the way, you're good at naming stuff, Ralph. I told you that before the call, like that's, and that's so important to focus on. And I don't think it's something that we give a lot of lip service to, but we don't have a system for it. You know, like there's that, there's a need there, man. There's a whole industry that needs to crop up around just that. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just an understanding that the deeper you go, whatever your business model is, like for us, we like to go far deeper with fewer customers than not very deep with lots of customers yeah. and, you know, choose the right ones to really partner with. And, you know, maybe even flip from an ad spend arrangement to a revenue share arrangement. And that's sort of the types of relationships that we want to foster, but it, it all depends on what the agency wants to do. I mean, from our perspective, we've come from the other side. Now we're going towards this side, been going that way for a year now. And it's a hell of a lot more 
fun because you're not just focused on the one thing and everyone wants the traffic. Obviously, the more traffic you get, the better. But then like what happens after they actually come off that traffic platform, then what happens? And that's really where you know, the rubber really meets the road from our perspective. And it's something that we've, we've gotten pretty darn good at, especially within the last year, especially with our staffing that we have right now. So the point is, is like YouTube is a great diversification strategy for you here. And anything else to add that, you know, you or your team is, has discovered with, uh, with this platform in the, in the last few months? It's the very last soundbite I want to offer, just because I, before this call, I asked my team to drop in their pro tips. And one thing that seemed to kind of resonate with everybody is our, the best targeting that we've experienced in YouTube is DSK, which is display search keywords. And you can target by a lot inside of YouTube, you know, different, different audiences, placements, you can target on specific videos. But for us, DSK has been across almost all our clients. It's been where we've seen the highest performance. And I don't know that that's a ubiquitous truth, but if there's somebody listening to this, taking notes and thinking like, okay, I'm going to give this a shot. I just want to offer enough that's, you know, tangible to where they actually are headed in that direction. So yeah. I was, how did that land Ralph? Is that, you think that's too, am I diving too deep? Yeah. DSK, maybe just for some of us who aren't aware of what is it, how have you used it? And just a 30 second overview. It's used like search terms inside of Google search. And, and you're basically giving Google a keyword and you're saying, and, you know, anybody who has searched for this or interacted across any Google property. So Google's been able to say like, oh, Ralph looked for, you know, whatever, airline tickets recently. That gives Google the fodder it needs to kind of bring you the users. So a lot of people with YouTube get tempted to go with placements. So I want to be on this channel or, you know, this topic or this category or whatever. And we found that DSK, again, and, you know, we're predominantly e-commerce too. So that might be part of it, but DSK tends to be the more effective approach for targeting. Cool. Well, very cool. We'll leave plenty of links in the show notes to all these things that we discussed here. Obviously, if you're you know, investigating or looking at the YouTube platform, we'll leave you a way to get your account started there, as well as all the links and resources that we mentioned here. We'll send you all over to uh, digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. And this has been episode 316. Do not forget to tune in to Perpetual Fridays every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. And that's over at the Digital Marketer YouTube channel. We'll leave a link in the show notes on that one. Kasim Aslam, no longer a guest host, now permanent co-host. Been a pleasure, buddy. Rob, appreciate you, sir. I'll talk to you next time. You bet. All right, to everybody else, like I said, digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast, episode 316. Until next week, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.